0: Hello, I'm Maya Brown, and this is Stories from the Brink. This podcast is about giving voice to personal stories of overcoming challenges in life with grace and humor, because stories bring us together, and together we all win. So today's episode is about a challenge related to career and family that my friend Georgia Bush has been managing for the past four and a half years or so. Currently, she is a financial sector specialist at the Bank of Mexico, which is Mexico's central bank. She also holds a PhD in economics from Rutgers. And in lay terms, she does what is known as a risk expert. Thanks for joining the conversation, Georgia.
1: Thank you so much, Maya, for, for asking me.
0: Oh, it's always great to see you. So help me understand what's going on here. Okay, so you're an economist, but you're American. So you're working in Mexico City?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely something I think, I mean, you've known me for years. This was not in the plan necessarily. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about opportunities, right? You have to kind of have the mental flexibility to think, oh, well, should I do this? Should I not? So basically, I went back to do my PhD in economics kind of late. Most people do a sort of traditional linear trajectory where they do college undergrad economics, then they go on for a master's, then they go on for a PhD. Um, And I, as you know, had sort of a career for a while and then went back for my PhD. At the end of the PhD, there's a recruitment process. It's called the job market. It is very stressful and weird. Most grad students uh, go through it and it's global. The U.S. market happens at a, at a conference, an economic conference once a year in the first couple of days of January. So you, you spend September, October, November sending out your research paper, which is called your job market paper, and your references, and you hope that you get kind of a speed dating interview at the conference. And then if you get a call back, you get flown, it's called a fly out to potential employers, and you do a seminar. And really, you're presenting your research, right? So, this is very different than anything I had done prior to the PhD. And it's very bizarre. So, for example, when you're doing your speed dating mini interviews on the job market, you're given a code that's a hotel room. And so, you go to a hotel room and you're sitting there with maybe two or three or four faculty or, uh, uh, employees of the institution that you're interviewing with. And you have to sit there and kind of do your spiel and answer whatever questions. Wait, wait, wait. These are people you've never met before, never met before. And you're in your, you know, your, your business attire trying to look, you know, all calm and professional and you're in a hallway of a hotel and, and the, and the hotel room door opens and the other candidate walks out and you walk in. So it was very, I mean, Maya, you know me, I mean, I'm pretty, you know, that's horrible. It was very strange i felt like a gun dealer or something you know
0: <laughs> you thought you were like making some cash? kind of deal
1: <laughs> yes. with people in mexico yes. yeah i mean now the nice thing i mean for me as an american all of these hotels are in some american city like san right. diego boston philadelphia where they have right. this economics conference and the conference is going on at the same time so you see colleagues you know so it's not as weird okay uh, you know as as i may present it however if you're used to a normal interview process where you might go to an office or a neutral, you know, or somewhat more professional space, that is not the job market experience. So yes, as you said, oh. I go into the hotel room for my speed. But like, wait, wait.
0: Wait, in the hotel room, is it like a suite? Is there like an office area or is there like a bed there?
1: That's it depends. so weird. Yeah. It depends on the institution and the college. And to be fair, There's been a huge amount of discussion about gender and issues around that also in the economics field. I mean, we've seen this more broadly, um, but since I was on the job market also. And so they've tried to change the practices, because as you can imagine, as a young woman, I mean, I'm experienced, I had 15 years of career, but imagine you're, you know, twenty eight year old and you're going in and it's like four men and they're and they ask you to sit on the bed in the hotel room. I mean it could just seem quite awkward no matter what the the that best it' like a
0: lawyer from one of these banks would um object on many many levels to that situation, given circumstances in the current world, but you never know right you never My, know Mike, you
1: have to remember this was before I mean, yeah this is before. This before was before Weinstein, before right. a lot of the public discussions we've been having in the US. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and right. and also it's an economic issue, right? I mean, these mm-hmm. are colleges, liberal arts colleges, right? They can't afford a suite. You know, right. so it's really, yeah, So now they're being terrific and they have meeting rooms and conference spaces and things like that. Okay. So, that, so it, it has changed. But as you can imagine, I walk into the hotel room and there are three guys from the Central Bank of Mexico. And my um, first impression is like, wow, they're dressed really well. They all have like one has this really fabulous beard, the other one has this really cool tie, you know, just not the other sort of the other places that I'd looked at, which were more academic, you know, we're used to more casual. So we had a fantastic discussion, mostly because the area that I'm interested in, which is emerging markets, and my research was on capital flows. This is very central to Mexico's concerns, right? And so, um, you know, we, we hit it off, we talked about all the, all the, the themes that they are interested in. So I got a fly out, which then meant that I flew to Mexico City where I'd never been before in my life. I don't speak Spanish. Um, This is huge credit to the Central Bank of Mexico that they were open to interviewing a foreigner and somebody who's not even from Latin America or speaks Spanish.
0: Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. So you meet with these two really well-dressed, three really well-dressed, really professional guys from the central bank of Mexico
1: and you do a great job. So yeah, we hit it off. They were incredibly, um, high level discussions with these three guys. They're now colleagues and, um, yeah. And so they said, okay, we want to see more. Cause that was only like half an hour, right?
0: Between that interview and the flyout, what was the conversation with your husband? Did he understand that you were Thinking about taking a job in Mexico City while he has a job. And you guys have how many sons? At this point, we had three kids. One was three sons, right? A year old. One was right. yeah, about a year old. Okay, so you have three sons. One is the youngest age you have in the in the range. You're this brilliant economist, and you come mm-hmm. home and you have this great news. Hey, I got invited to the next round in Mexico City. And what is Rick yeah. saying?
1: Husband, so my Rick. wonderful husband, Rick. Um, so the job market, I just have to explain, you are trying to get any offer you can, right? This was 2015. Okay. So the flyout was 2016 in the in February, March of 2016. And William, our littlest, was born in August of 2014. So we were juggling a, a lot. And yes. my and Rick was in a new job. He'd been in a new job for a little while. So it was, it was all, um, so wait, 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 you your know. husband just started a new job. No, no, not just start, not just, not just, not okay, just Okay, maybe a year. But in this, yeah. Seven. In the sense that he was, you know, get, you know, quite, uh, gearing up and, uh, you know, quite focused on, on his own career. Um, so you just had a baby for all
0: intents and purposes. And now, now you're like considering a job, In Mexico city. What did your husband say?
1: Well, he just asked, how did it all go? And I said, great. And I went and, you know, I had other interviews too. So that wasn't the only one. Right. So, um, so he already knew that that one was in the mix. And when I got a fly out, we were both like, Oh, cool. I get to go to Mexico city. I've never been there. You know, I hear they have really good food.
0: (laughs) So it wasn't real. It wasn't wasn't, real to him. You were just like, or myself.
1: Yeah. You're like, I don't know. I'm just going to go on the trip. Right. Yes, it was okay. an outside option. Right. I was very excited that I could present my research to a group that was very interested in my research, right? Cuz it's a seminar presentation. That's what the flyout is. So it's Great. it's it counts as your seminar research and that's going to help you get your research published and you're going to get feedback. So it was a fantastic opportunity. The fact that it was linked okay. to a potential job offer was just very abstract and I had a, other flyouts in the US. So we didn't this was not going to be Becoming a job
0: yet? So, how long was it between the flyout when you went to Mexico City and when you knew that that was the offer that you were most interested in?
1: About. So it took a while, and I think this is one thing that is always really challenging for many of us when we're faced with these opportunities. We don't really realize the opportunity when we first. Are kind of presented with it. It's sort of in the soup. You're managing your relationship. You're managing taking care of your family. So it's just sort of in there. And then the pieces kind of come in. Um, the flyout went well. I loved Mexico City, and I really liked the people who were hiring. Right, the the hiring manager, the head of the department came in to the interview schedule. He had not been on the interview schedule and then they changed it and he came in and being somewhat experienced I was like oh that's a good sign the head of the directorate wants to see me. So we completely hit it off these guys are American PhD educated one was Cambridge ones Northwestern very the director head was married to a, a woman from Chicago, you know, very smart, and you have to remember I had just killed myself to finish a PhD right so. The fact that these people all were interested in my topic of interest had these backgrounds where they could relate to my career prior to the PhD, which is really unusual. At that point, I was just sort of like, "Oh, okay, they might actually make me an offer, even though I don't speak Spanish, I have no deep knowledge of Latin America." Right. So that was what was in my head when I came back from that trip. I did the other flyouts. They were in D.C. They were in some some other more local. Some were teaching. Some were institutions, government institutions, and it just was consistent that the dynamism and the the match was the best with Mexico city. I had, I had gotten a couple of offers. I was negotiating the U S ones because really, like you said, what the heck are you thinking? (laughs) You have a a little one under three, you you have two older kids. You're going to move to Mexico city. No. So of course I was negotiating the U S ones and those were the primary options. And I kept running things just, weren't fitting, you know, like just the way the bosses were talking about hiring me. And this is like advice for I'm sure so many people can relate to this, but perhaps women even more. You don't know what salary you're supposed to get paid, right? Knowing market rate is very challenging. And I I really wish everyone could go into the market and think there is a market rate for this position. Just close who's gonna fill it, whether you're a woman or you're black, whatever. You're going into these interviews and, yeah, and you I have don't know, no idea,
0: no idea what they are prepared to offer you. And they're asking you to tell them how much you want to make.
1: Somewhat, somewhat. Right. So they're having me as Rick, Rick is so great advising on this. Cause he told me Your like, husband, look, you don't, you, yeah. my husband, you don't want to bargain against yourself. Right. Because I'm switching sectors. So I have no idea. I'm okay. trying to understand what the pay is. But what my point is, as you're going through this process, you get more and more little pieces of info, right? There's okay. the hard, the hard data of like, what's the first offer? What are the benefits? But then there's the intuitive stuff like, Hmm. He was not able to go internally and get me to market, which is literally the phrase this other guy used. He's like, Yes, Georgia. So the head guy's making the decision, right? But then there's a right. the guy who's sort of my level who's who's trying to convince me for this one offer. And he said, Yeah, I know we need to get you to market. We need to get the offer to market. And I remember thinking, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh my God, they're not even offering me the market rate. And I've had to like have four or five conversations, right? So that's when I, that's when I start to think, "Hmm." so Mm -hmm. I called up Mexico or they called me and I said, yeah, you need to pay me more (laughs) still. Okay. And this is my personality because I would never probably have done that if I thought it was a real, if I was really, really wanting that job. So I asked for a raise. They came back the next day with a higher offer very good sign and all done by the head guy and he was just just the way he handled it he was like I know this is a, a difficult decision I know you have family we really think you can contribute here um you know and when someone says to you we we know how you can contribute to our institution that was like a real gut feel of like okay that's great okay so at this right? moment
0: do you say anything to your husband? about this offer becoming more real, or are you just sort of keeping it to yourself until you see what actually happens to have to have that conversation?
1: No, he was wonderful helping me with the salary negotiation and, and being a little bit better at, at that. But all pretty much all along, we had a more of a couple of US things that I was focused on. One right. didn't come through the way we had thought or I had thought, but right. then one was progressing. And then, uh, so he, yeah, I kept him sort of up to speed on that. And the, and of course, as you said, it takes time and I'm still working on the other research. And then it really became real with Mexico. And they, and they said, we need you to come out and do all these health tests because they have a in health insurance that's run by the bank. So basically right. I know this is so not us but basically what they do is they do all these health tests. And if you have a serious condition they're basically not gonna hire you because I mean, I don't know it's a different system. Yeah. Yeah, and and different concept. Like they right. ha- I have amazing health insurance with them. Yeah. So at that yeah. point I'm like, okay, let's take the whole family. You know, Rick and I love to travel. So we're wait, like let's take the whole but family. Georgia, but Georgia. This is just for, start- this is for like a 10-day vacation. So you're still so, just
0: thinking that this is hypothetical and you guys are just going on this vacation.
1: No, it's a little more real now because I'm having to go and, and do like tests, but I'm still working on the other offer. I'm still waiting for the other offer. Are there are, are
0: there any conversations about how are we gonna do this?
1: Not until I had the offer in my hand. Okay. And I had the other offer, the final other offer, did I say, look, look at these. What happened so then? What happened then is I would say it was another long process. <laughs> Yeah, because I think Mm -hmm. it had been very abstract to us. And my gut was telling me this is an incredible opportunity. I'm going to be, you know, a a foreigner, an American in an emerging market bank. I'm going to be in Mexico. It's a four hour flight. There's all kinds of history between the us. This was still this was pre Trump uh, campaign or anything. Right. So Right, um, and, right. and so and for me, I'm very experienced in Asia and I had a stint in London. Mm-hmm. And so this was sort of filling out mm-hmm. my Latin America and emerging markets knowledge. So it was just just the whole fit seemed incredible. Okay. And we had one thing that Rick had, had and I had sort of set up when I started the Ph.D. because I quit my job to start the Ph.D. and that was a bit of a financial choice, right? So was we, we did a triangle in our minds and each point of the triangle was one point was myself or my career. The other point was Rick and his career. And the other point was the children. So I know this sounds like a simplistic model because of course, life is way more complicated, but we thought this is kind of the way we need to think about it. And if, if it's a situation where it's good for one person and good for the kids then, you know, maybe the other person's got to just take the hit for a little bit. Right. Just to
0: clarify, your husband is also a very math oriented person, right? We've got two math <laughs> professor type people making <laughs> geogrambic okay. diagrams. Okay. okay. Yes. You're right. I, you're right.
1: Okay. Well, making but diagrams. No, be-
0: but it's good. It's really good. That's the contract that works. That's the language you guys speak, you know?
1: You know, my, you're, you're so insightful. He's an analyst. Absolutely. Right. And so. I think that there are very different ways that one can approach these big decisions. Exactly. And for, for me, and I, and I think for Rick as well, the language of analysis and pros and cons and probabilities, mm-hmm. these things are, are we're comfortable talking in those ways. However, I will say that in the day-to-day of managing it, this is not the tool you want to use. And I will we can have the follow-up of when this, when, Why? when because, okay, so it's wonderful to think about and reflect on the pros and cons of these various situations. How do you okay. make those judgments though, right? How do you actually say, it's gonna be really good for you, Georgia. It's gonna be really good for you kids. It's gonna suck for you, Rick. Maybe it's not, maybe Rick's gonna love, you know, being in Mexico or we ended up, I'll show you, I'll tell you how we just managed it. So it's very hard, right? You have to predict how things are gonna go. And we, none of us can, right? So being humble about this and having fit, thankfully I have a really diverse set of friends who I trust and love and being able to, talk to them because over the years I've empathized with their different experiences. They may have made very different decisions than me. You know, I'm a bit of a feminist. I'm a bit of a free spirit, you know, then they're very different roots, but, but we care for each other, right? these friends and that network of friends. So it really helped me when I was thinking about this Three points of the triangle to try and understand well, what's it going to mean for my kids? What's it going to mean for my husband? What are they going to feel? You know, so having the ability to talk with other people and this, and that's. Of course, there's data that you can look at, but this is really personal narratives, right? Like, how did you experience it when you had to give up your job and were relocated to Hong Kong and all of a sudden you're the trailing spouse? Like, how did that feel to you? You know, like one of my friends or, you know, so that was, so I would say, yes, we're very analytical, Rick and I both, but actually in this process, I think we realized that the emotions were super, super powerful. And, and I also think that this is sort of a gender awareness that I've come to, and I think a lot of people, since there's been so much more discussion about this, we have very different societal expectations on how we deal with our emotions. You know, men are supposed to be rational. They're supposed to not really have emotions, right? Except anger. They're allowed to be angry, Um, you know? And so the idea that, you know, you might empathize with someone else's emotions, or you might feel vulnerable, or you might have very strong emotions that you can't rationalize, that you can't put like a clean narrative on, this is challenging, Right. And so that's where I feel like we've Rick and I both in this process really had to grow a lot because we were doing something unconventional. We were really upending the apple cart, right? Because we had our young kids, we were pretty much based in New York. Um, so this was like, a it's not like we're a family that had been doing, you know, foreign service or other forms. Of course, we met overseas. So we both, we both love that. And that, that kind of tied us together. And of course, the fact that we care for each other, we, we love each other so much. It's very hard when you see your partner having this incredible opportunity and yet you, you feel terrible, right? It's like, how do you manage that? (laughs) Right. So we had the triangle model and we kept discussing it. And, and basically over many, many discussions, it became clear to me that this was something I really needed, that I really wanted to do. And I really needed to do for me personally and for my career. Like I had the sense that this was kind of a pivotal moment in my life that if I didn't choose this opportunity, that all this effort I had done for the PhD might be lost in, 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 a, in a way. Um, so, it's, and it took a lot. I mean, Rick was scared, right? he was the one who was going, who was not sort of on the front line of, of why this was such a good fit. He didn't go to Mexico city with me. He didn't see it. Right. So it was hard. It took a lot of convincing. And I think at the end of the day, he, I think he recognized, or I was able to communicate, like, look, I have to do this. Let's figure okay. out how we can do it. And then for me, I'm very practical. So it's like, well, how's this going to work? So, exactly. and we also, yeah, so to compromise. Do this <laughs> yeah. Is an idea,
0: right. That's a concept. So then,
1: yeah. yeah, we made that decision together, and well, and let me just say that sometimes in a couple, you think you've made a decision, but maybe you haven't, right? So I, I thought we mean. had sort of made the decision, you know, but I don't know what you mean by that at all. What do you mean? So, well, you know, make a you decision. Make decision. What do you mean? Yeah. You
0: make a decision. You haven't made a decision. What happens?
1: So this is where the emotions, it's like, ah, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable for your partner to say, oh, I can't do this. Right. So they kind of nod. You think it like, might okay. be uncomfortable
0: for a husband to contemplate his wife going to live in a foreign country surrounded by really smart, really well-dressed men.
1: Yes. I know that
0: that might be difficult.
1: Yes. That's another level of where understanding your partner is really a deep, deep process. And when you shake things up like this, you really come to get to know them more. And, and that's good. And well, yeah. And and on that note, we really started to think practically, I mean, I, I did, um, how's this going to work? So what rick had what rick suggested is why don't you go for a year before you before first of all he was like i don't speak spanish i don't want to give up my job i'm not going okay so whatever the deal is i need to stay in new york and work in the job that i'm in i was like okay, okay. the other idea was that for the first year i commute back and forth so leave the kids you know we had child care we had schools pretty much stuff set up in new york and a an no pair So it's like, okay, I commute and the family can, has some continuity. So that's what we did for a year. And, um, just to see also if the job was for real, right? Like maybe I'm just going to be a glorified English editor, right? Which would, I would be out of there in a week if that was the case. Right. So it was really hard. I had to leave my little, you know, two-year-old. How did they understand that? Very abstract for a two-year-old. But then you weren't there. They understood exactly. that. They understood that. So every mm. night I facetimes. Oh. And I negotiated with my boss beforehand that I would be able to do regular trips to New York because right. in in this institution in the central bank, the first year you have no vacations, and they didn't have any distance work or flex time or any programs like that. Right. So I was sort of pushing the envelope. In the institution to say look i can work in new york just as well if i'm doing my research okay right. so i was sort of fighting that front in the bank i had to prove myself and every time i had a trip to new york i had to do it was like a tax i had to do another two-pager note i had to have a, some meetings scheduled my boss was fantastic to, you know to working with me on this but you bet i had to deliver you know to prove that i was working right and that's so you already
0: have the job you've moved to Mexico. You're doing the job. You're doing a great job. They know you have a family. They know your family's in New York, but every time that you need to go and visit your family, you have to build a case for it. On top of doing your job, on top of with your kids every night and trying to have a relationship and, you know, Learn how to speak Spanish or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I was also trying to learn how to speak Spanish. I was so excited when I learned how to order a coffee. How are you
0: not going
1: out of your mind at this point? Well, I'll tell you because the work was fantastic. Okay. It was exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, I was learning so much, and Mexico City is in just an incredible city. And I was at this point, Airbnb kind of, so I right. would, I could sort of check out different neighborhoods. It's an incredible city. So I, I know it sounds insane, but you have to understand I was in Mexico city and I was doing, it sounds and, great. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing this work that I had, people were paying me to do the work that I had trained to do, you know, and I was this. Great. you know, I was the expert and I could, and I started to see my value add because I do have an international perspective and I'm working in a very Mexican institution and they participate in all the G20 meetings. So they have an international footprint. They want to try and influence policy, you know, all of this. So I began to see how I could be it could really contribute, right? So that's how I was managing it. I cannot tell you how many times I cried in the bathroom, for sure. <laughs> um, bathroom
0: crying is totally legitimate. That is totally legitimate, legitimate management mechanism. Yes.
1: Yes, I wish men would do more of it. I think it's because they have urinals instead of booths. They probably do. How would we know? How would we know? I, I know we don't know, but we don't I, know. We don't I know. highly encourage a little bout of a bout of tears. Um There's some kind of yoga going on. Was not that getting
0: yoga. Yes.
1: So I also um need the physical to manage my stress. So I either do aerobic like jogging or i used to go dancing all the time can't do that anymore (laughs) Um, Why? oh thank you i love i love you your why faith well going out to nightclubs in mexico city by myself no not gonna happen um no i wouldn't advise that (laughs) no um yeah so i was also managing that the security is not a non-negligible You know, uh, I would say it's like New York in the eighties, New York city in the eighties, right? So you're going to get mugged if you have nice jewelry and you're, you're by yourself or something. I mean, you're, you may not, but, and how does Rick feel knowing about this and that you're
0: so far away?
1: Um, we FaceTimed every day. So, and, and he emailed me, I would say like 10 times a day. I mean, the communication was like, a lot i would say Good. and well not always I, I i would say that the 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 transit so i was managing being in mexico city working in a job Okay. But when in my twenties, I had lived in Hong Kong and worked at a, a job where I was there till eight at night or something. Like that, and here I was there till nine. Night. So this was not, hu- okay. I don't speak Spanish. Well, I worked in Tokyo and I hardly spoke any Japanese. I worked in Hong Kong. I didn't speak Cantonese, although they speak much better English in Hong Kong. So there were a lot of challenges for me, but these were not things that I had never done before. Right. But On you've some, never done them as a,
0: as a mom and as
1: a wife. Ex- right? That was just going to be my point. Yeah, And also for my husband, the fact that he was now the on the ground in the trenches parent was cataclysmic is all I can say. And I did not appreciate the gender aspects of this. I just, I just did not understand or appreciate how much I managed things, play dates, doctor's appointments, groceries, childcare new pair of shoes growing out of the, the shitting in the underpants and having to buy a new set because you really can't wash those, Um, you know, all that stuff, ordering milk because milk, you know, whatever, um, planning the meals, right? Okay. If you're going to have eggs for breakfast, there better be eggs in the fridge, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And, and you pair- just did
0: that stuff. You just did that stuff on background as like breathing because you were yes. so used to it. And Rick was used to that stuff being done because it was always done. And then yeah. all of a sudden, mommy's in Mexico City. And what happens? So
1: it was kind of ridiculous. I was still trying to organize play dates and order groceries online and do all that Mexico. Kind
0: of you were trying to order grocery. Wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> How yeah, are you yeah. ordering
1: groceries? I know total stupidity, total denial that like oh, so sweet. May- maybe you need to train your husband before you leave. Just it didn't occur to That's me. So it didn't sweet. occur to me. You were
0: trying to just you were trying to just sweet. keep doing what you do.
1: Yeah. I don't think it was sweet. I think I perceived it as part of the deal. Was it in his mind part of the deal? This is where what's implicit and what's explicit is really challenging, right? right? Like, are you going to negotiate? I mean, do you really think of like, well, who's going to take the dry cleaning in? You know, you just, you just, there are things that we don't, we don't think about. And I, and there's no question That you know, Rick, and I'm sure this is true for many men. The sense of self, the sense of responsibility of being a father, is so heavy, and it is so much about the paycheck, right? And making sure I earn the money so that you know we have a bank account that we can we can draw on, right? So the financial security and the financial aspects. And remember, the crisis happened in 2008, so we are all burned by that, right? So I think that I did I underestimated the extreme pressure he was putting on himself for that aspect and how little room that left him him or a few resources like emotional resources that left him to cope with other aspects of of a household right and wow. and I I think that that's been my and that's taken me a long time to learn that. And I think for some couples, it may be that the moms are, you know, the, the, the woman that's their identity. That's what they do. Society is telling them they're so great. Cause that's what they do. I had always been working. So I was never that I was never the poster mom. Um, and, and yet somehow I was, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really have an explicit. You were super mom. You were super mom. Well, I think many moms are super moms. We now Great. know this, right? Great. So I think that when you have this abrupt transition, and I remember you saying this to me, to actually Georgia, this might be better because rather than trying to go from zero to career in New York City, where you're going to be trying to do everything and you're going to kill yourself. You're actually going to be in a different city, which is true. So as you might expect, after a certain number of months, it's like, this is ridiculous. I cannot be the one managing the groceries. This is just stupid, right? So a reality kicks in. And I think uh, my husband, Rick, bless his soul, he wants to be really good at, at, at organizing everything and being a good dad. And it's stressful. He's going from zero to 100, right? Right. And I was pregnant with my first, and society gives me all these messages of what you're supposed to do as a mom and how you manage it. And all the information flow goes to me, does not go to the dad for some reason. Um, Well, that's our gender roles. So I had acclimated, right, over three children, over, you know, however many years it is now. Um, So for him, it was just, I I didn't realize like the, the whole shock and the emotions around that were strong. And that's what I was saying, like, and analyzing can, can help you, but you also need this space for the emotions and to try and understand that we aren't all able to express our emotions in a way that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Like, What um, What was the hardest
0: thing? What was the hardest thing for you to express to Rick about why things needed to change in terms of logistics, like in terms of like groceries?
1: Why was it hard? That's something I ask myself again and again. I'm so articulate talking about economics, Mm -hmm. teaching my kids, and yet I cannot, I don't have my voice with my husband. So I would say there are two, two issues with this. One is that when you're both very analytical, the conversations can become this analytical kind of pseudo objective. Like there's a right answer. There's a wrong answer. And that's very much my husband's framework. Right in, in life, there is never a right answer and wrong answer. There's always some like in between or like, okay, it's a compromise or whatever. Right. So, and, and the emotions are so important about your conviction about acting the way you said you're going to act. Right. So I just think it was very hard for me to be emotional, feel emotionally safe to say like, you know, I am vulnerable here. I can't do this. And I need you to pick up on this and I need you to do this. Um, I think it was very hard. I didn't feel safe saying that because it, the, I, I had, I had sort of internalized the expectations societal and my husband and my, and my in-laws by the way, and my, okay. my incredibly powerful, uh, and, and a charismatic mother. I mean, when, when we went around asking about this job offer, her first question would be, you know, like we were at a couple events and, um, I was very lucky to talk to some other senior economists of her her age. And the first thing my mom would ask is so Bank of Mexico, you know good good institution investing. The second thing was she'd say was should my daughter t- take the job, she has a husband and three children here here at home. So she was already very aware that this was a deep choice, right um, and that the risks were high um, and you know, my sort of blind faith in you're, myself. You're, you're
0: a risk expert, Georgia. <laughs> Come on. I know, this is I know. your wheelhouse. <laughs> you're a risk expert. So I you know. go into this situation and you analyze the risk and you decide. I'm going for it. That you're going to go for it. And guess what? Here we are four years and change later. Yeah. We're doing really well. You speak Spanish. Rick yep. feels comfortable going back and forth. He knows how to yeah. order groceries.
1: Oh my God. no, no, not only that, he will spontaneously do laundry. He will spontaneously organize what to cook for dinner. You know, I don't know if other moms can can uh, appreciate this, but you know, it used to be when I would go on vacation, I'm still managing everything. I'm still doing all the laundry. It wasn't really a vacation. and And the first time I remember we went to vaca- on vacation, and it was maybe like a year or two years after the the dual city situation. And my husband like spontaneously takes care of the laundry and spontaneously like was making breakfast. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. This is incredible. <laughs> this actually almost feels like vacation. Did you on some level think that he wouldn't be able to like manage? You know, it's so funny you say that because I think some wives feel that. And I've heard them. Say, I remember comments like I would never leave my kids alone with my husband in the airport. they get lost, you know, when they were little. And I never felt that. I always had this outsized faith in my husband that he that he'd have no problem. I'm going off to Mexico, no problem. You know. So no, I never thought that he couldn't do it. Ever. And and he is a smart, I mean, come on, this is not rocket science, as they say. So this is this is no. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. Not as simple
0: as it might seem.
1: It's definitely not simple. And I think that what, what really comes in is the emotions about being, being good at something or being, or pleasing, right. He wants to please. And he thinks I'm the expert on the household domain. He wants to get it right. Cause he thinks I have some right way of doing it. And, and the reality is, and, and this, this, this may be different in different couples. Right. I really don't, I really don't care how you do the laundry. Like it's just going to be cleaner. It's not like, and I don't really, you know, I have some issues about what you put on the plate for the kids to eat. Like, I'm not a big fan of like Velveeta and, you know, that sort of thing. But otherwise I'm like, Hey, you're probably even better than me at doing some of this stuff. I, you know, I have no, so in that sense, if you can, if, if I absolutely had faith in him and maybe that came through eventually, but I began to more explicitly say that. So it's really weird, Georgia, what I'm
0: hearing you say is that this thing that everyone thought was such a huge risk is maybe something that has brought you guys closer together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know about, I don't know about closer, where I just, I think relationships exist in context, right? And you never know what you're going to get hit with. Some things you have control over and you can make choices. Other things you, you don't have control over. You have to be humble to kind of understand that, right. And get, and be kind to yourself and patient with yourself, which is very hard. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I had that faith in us and it was very hard because society certainly doesn't look kindly on this. And I had comments, you know, I mean, I can give you some of my favorite comments oh my gosh, that's so, that's so sad that you have to work, you know, oh, your husband doesn't make enough money. Oh, that's so sad. I do think depending on the culture that you're in, you know, it challenges you to think about your, where you're coming from. Right. I mean, we had lived in New York for 10 years. We had this certain idea of societal norms, cultural norms, you know, all of that sort of thing. And you move to another country and there's things people say and there's th- ways people respect you, or, or maybe you're maybe a little less respectful or whatever. And so you have to sort of rethink it, you know? And I think it's, it's made us, it's just made us much more self-aware of what we as individuals have and how we can empathize with others, right? Because we're bridging these two cultures, we have, you know, as you said, I'm now speak Spanish. I have friends here. I mean, there's no way I'm totally integrated, but I I have um, insights into people's experiences here. And being as humble as you can be to kind of be tolerant of some views and practices. It's very Catholic uh, culture here. So that has certain things that I can find very problematic in the way it's practiced. So, you know, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of challenges, but it also made me realize like, wow, I'm really lucky in some level. Right. Um, I didn't have to get divorced to, to, you know, On I, every level. Yeah. Yeah. But I, what I mean specifically so was great. in terms of being able to have a husband and the husband, yes, not divorcing me when I say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to have a career by the way. And this is a great opportunity for me. Right. And I think, You know, the tit for tat for that is in our society in the US, there is so much more openness and discussion about gender and gender roles. I mean, there is here too, but it it is the US does have so much heterogeneity and the, Mm -hmm. the diversity of people's experiences, both culturally, religious, economic. So we have opportunities for dialogue and conversation that really help on the personal level, right? Because then I'm like, oh, that's Rick's from the Midwest. Oh, and I just met this guy from the Midwest at, you know, the church group thing. Now, I'm not a big church goer, but hey, they are really into it. Okay, you know, and you start to kind of think, oh, okay, that's where they're coming from, right? And it really helps me on the personal level think, well, maybe that's a part of my husband I never really appreciated and understand the context of where he's coming from. So giving him space, like really seeing him. Mm-hmm. And him, me, you know, it, it, and understanding, like, this is a different individual, you love each other, but you're still different. And you have to be, um, you have to try and put yourself in, in their shoes and think like, well, how right. does this, how is this experience going to work for them? Or how are they feeling? And sometimes you even have to help them understand what they're feeling, right? You're kind of like right. a mirror in a way. And, and I think there's just a lot more space in the U.S or what, I don't know, I don't want to generalize, but that there's room for this tolerance. There's room for this dialogue, which then makes it very powerful. I find in my marriage to be That's able wonderful. to, yeah. To, and to give him more space to be more than just like the stereotypical guy that he sort of, you know, the media is telling him he should be. Yeah. So having, remembering those things that you love about each other and trying to stay grounded in that when like society and our expectations of ourselves can kind of get a little, get us in a little bit of a box. You know, I find it's really helpful to literally it's sometimes it's just like having coffee with a friend with a totally different experience to just remind me, you know,
0: if you were, if you were transported back in time to the moment when the job became real and Mm -hmm. you had to make the decision again, is there anything that you wish you'd known that you didn't know then anything that jumps out at you
1: yeah i wish i had known that it would be much much harder to manage the, the, the my husband and my sort of household roles would you've done it if you actually knew maybe that was good right um no i still would have done it i still would have done it but the the okay. i think be, what i would have liked to have done is had more discussions that were less of that were a little bit more about the practical, but also about the emotions. Like how do you feel about this prospect? How are we, how are we feeling? Are we feeling nervous? Are we feeling comfortable? You know, because it was a risk, it was a big risk. And I think um, but there are other things that we had a safety net, right? I mean, right. we yeah. own our apartment in New York city. We, you know, so we were also quite on the same page in terms of being somewhat conservative as well. So I just wish I had known just how couples manage this transition where one, th- there's been one person kind of the the 90% managing the household right? and how you transition to Um, more like 50-50 or something like that. I think that that is really helpful because in general, I think more and more people are going to be going through this. Like with COVID, people are losing jobs, Mm -hmm. the trade-off between having a job, but then your kids are at home. So maybe like if the mom keeps her job and and is paid, but the husband loses his his job, well, now maybe he's going to be in a way different role than he thought he was in. So managing how to transition Mm -hmm. um, and be sort of more aware of how emotionally, it's not just about figuring out the problem. Right. It's not, I mean, you can use all these practical tools, Google calendar, like, you know, notes, I mean, I can tell all of you, the project management, you know, I'm like a wizard, all that, but it's the emotions, right? It's like, you might put on the calendar, the play date that you'd organized and you assume that, you know, your husband's going to check and see it on the calendar for whatever reason emotionally he may hate the fact that he's in this new role he may feel nervous that he's not communicating right with the mom of the other kid whatever there needs to maybe have a conversation just putting it on the calendar is not going to work you need to have a conversation rick was wonderful and told me that and he we now have these like criteria like if it's 24 hours before then we have a conversation you know so so you get to know your partner and the emotions around these things, because I think that's where really feeling appreciated and seen and heard. I just wish someone had told me it's not just about solving all the problems. You can be a whiz solving everything. And that's not necessarily what your partner needs. You know, sometimes your partner just needs like some validation, like actually, yeah, that mom is really hard work. You know, don't worry about it. It's not impersonal or
0: whatever, you know, like, but you know, what, Georgia, I mean, that's something that a lot of couples struggle with that live in the same house. So that's a really wonderful strength that you guys now have that maybe you didn't have before. And that's something that a lot of people struggle with.
1: I totally agree with you. And it just that's took, great. it's just a, it's just a kind of more dramatic story with us because yeah. we, we had the move, but I totally agree with you the whole need for that validation and like, and especially when you're changing roles.
0: Cause it's easier if, if you guys had, if any, any couple, is living in the same place, you can get away with not specifically saying someone to someone how much you appreciate them. If you are not in the same space, you don't get to hug them. You don't get to smile at them. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're forced to do it. That's a really great habit to get into. So I think that
1: that's I think that's really valuable. Yeah, I completely agree that the physical distance is very harsh and real, but you can feel distance in a relationship when you're right next to each other. If you don't feel like you have a voice or, or, or they don't feel safe saying things. Do you feel like you guys actually are closer now than you were at sometimes when you live together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There were times when That's with great. the little, yeah, the little young kids. And I think probably many families deal with this. When you have young kids running around, it is very challenging to keep your connection to your partner. I don't know. I found we found it very challenging. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I would say we're closer closer in our relationship, right? honestly Because exactly. obviously, not geographically. We're, we're not, yeah. yeah, but I mean but emotionally.
0: I, yeah, That's emotionally, so nice.
1: And I also think that um, there's a lot of pride, right? Because I did have tons of faith in my husband, but that's different than when he actually does it. Right. Right. So all this faith that I had was probably a lot of pressure and, you know, we had to sort of learn as, as we went and and figure things out, but I have immense pride, um, for him. And I think that I expressed that. And as you said, I expressed it when we were actually together physically, because it's not, I had, you know, I'm still not so good at, you know, I got to keep working on this habit of being, um, you know, expressing pride and appreciation and, and also longing, physical right. longing. I mean, this is a sexual relationship. We're married. Right. Um, so expressing these things in ways that, um, you know, th- th- that's sort of the hug, right. Or the sort of outreach mm-hmm. or the little, the little wink as you put the kids to bed, you know, sort right. of saying like, Oh, let's have some nookie later. You know, how do you do that when you're not necessarily in the same, place. And, and it's a different, yeah, we we've, we've kind of, um, worked on that. So I I guess closeness. Yeah. It's connection. Wow. What an odyssey. Anyway, I've talked a lot. Well, that's the whole <gasps> point of this.
0: okay You're amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time. I mean, I know you're busy managing currency flows, but this is important too. And I appreciate you making it a priority.
1: Oh, thanks, Maya. Anything for you.
0: thank you all for joining the conversation today remember stay present and share your story stories bring us together and together we all win stories from the brink is produced by billy robinson hosted by me maya brown music by octopus kid